The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Let's do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. Phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Michael Brown, delighted, as always, to be with you on this Friday, like a kid in a candy shop. Can't wait to get to your calls. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Any subject of any kind that relates in any way to anything in our own ministry work or anything we ever talk about on the line of fire, by all means, give us a call. Those who differ with me, critics, skeptics, mockers, phone lines are open for you as well. And those just with genuine questions, areas of disagreement, all good. 866-34-TRUTH. Really quickly, before we go to the phones, I just want to read a prayer request I just got from a pastor in Pakistan. I can't give location, any details. But he said, today I am so heartbroken. One more 16 years Christian girl is kidnapped early morning by Muslim guys to forced conversion but this time she is from our church and our choir member. Today she came to early morning service at 5.30 a.m. with her aunt. Then she gets kidnapped by Muslims and forced to convert and marry. This happens. This happens. So would you pray that God would rescue this girl? God knows who she is, where she is, the circumstances. They've gone to police with the hope. I mean, it's hope against hope that the police would do something about this. Pray that God would. Pray that God would intervene and spare this 16-year-old Christian girl from forced conversion to Islam. Thank you. All right, let us go to the phones and start with David in Lake Elsinore, California. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Michael. You're welcome. Uh, And And I will will definitely definitely make sure sure to keep her in 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 my my prayers, prayers and we'll we'll reach out to our fellows as well and pray pray for her. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, okay. So, so... question is about Deuteronomy 33 and Habakkuk 3, specifically a single word and then verse uh, 2 Deuteronomy 3 and I think verse 4 of Habakkuk. Um, when it says that the Lord came from Sinai, Deuteronomy, and then Habakkuk says that the Lord came from man, right? right? I'm just wondering about that word came, because uh, I heard that it could be translated as will come from or is coming from Sinai. Is this possibly talking about future return of Jesus? And oh, no, no. Of Jesus from from Sinai the age? No, certainly not. The, these are looking back to the Theophanies. Um, the, the Sinai appearance, there's really no, um, ambiguity in it. Um, yeah, I mean the, see, here's, here's where someone could potentially misread it, but you have to 100% twist it. The, the, the Hebrew that's used there is the perfect and it means he came from. Now, if it was in a different context and you were saying he is coming or is about to, it's it's not it's not future. It would be right there. It's at the. In other words, he's oh he's coming down the hallway now, as opposed to in the future he will come. That that could not be ba. Ba in Hebrew means he came, or it could mean presently right now he is coming 
in this process. Everything else is telling you in the context it's past, and it absolutely cannot be speaking of a future distant event. Does doesn't and work. Yeah, and again, yeah, yeah. The the context there is is again uh, uh, looking back, and um, um, yeah. Okay, so sorry in in. Um, in Habakkuk 3, so it's the exact opposite in Habakkuk 3. So Deuteronomy 33, I'm glad you asked me to, to separate the two. In Deuteronomy right, right. 33, it's the exact, excuse me, in Habakkuk 3, it's the exact opposite, which is Yavo, uh, which is uh, is coming or, or, or more specifically will come. So that's the imperfect that would be used about the future. So, um, for example, the, the, uh, the new JPS so traditional Jewish translation, God is coming from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His majesty covers the skies, his splendor, it's a brilliant light, which gives off. So could this one be not just looking back, but looking forward and referring to the second coming? Habakkuk 3 could, mm. Deuteronomy 33 could not. Yeah, yeah, sure. And sorry for overgeneralizing yeah, yeah, when I answered both together, because they must be answered separately. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, totally. Um, I, just I just think it's really amazing how, even in Deuteronomy 33, it talks about how the Lord, 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 Lord comes to 10,000 of his holy ones, ones right? right? And that's also quoted, quoted in the New Testament as well, well over the return of Jesus when he appears with, with um, angels, angels like my fire, that he's going to appear with like, like, his holy ones, right? right? And judge the way that. I think that's really incredible how even Habakkuk kind of repurposed it as Deuteronomy 33, point forward, possibly point forward, I say. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And no, it, it is. Again, one is Ba, he came. The other, Yavo, he will come. Even for a new JPS to say is coming, it's more likely to say there, he will come. Right. So it's, and, and the, the Sinai manifestation of God and his power speaks of other times of God coming in judgment and power. There are similar types of, of images that are used. You know, just like, for example, in Isaiah 4, uh, the fourth chapter, the future glory in the messianic era will have the, the pillar uh, by day and the fire by night. So a similar thing to what happened with Israel in the wilderness will now continue. So yeah, the, the, the image of the exodus, the, the future deliverance is pictured on that, the, the future manifestation of God with resemblances back to Mount Sinai. Yes, yeah, so you're definitely on the right track with that. So appreciate the questions. Uh, thank, thank you, Dr. Yep, you're very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Sylvia in New Brownsville, Texas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Hi Brown. Brown. Hey. God bless you. Bless you. So, so my, my question, question was, was, and I only have two, two other, other people, people, but I want to get an answer. answer. So, so in, in the, the Bible, Bible where it says that, that Jesus was moved with compassion, compassion and, and he healed, healed. Mm-hmm. And, and also, he fed the multitude, and it always says he was moved with compassion. Mm-hmm. So, so my, my question is, is, is could, could it be that, that we don't see so many miracles now because we don't have the compassion of Jesus? There's no question that that's a factor, that if we were more moved with compassion, we would have more of God's heart and God's power working through us. Now, it doesn't say that in many of his miracles. It says that with some. Right, mm-hmm. Luke, Luke 7, raising the, the widow's only son from the dead. He's moved with compassion. 
Matthew 14, he sees the crowds. He heals them by compassion. And you referenced uh, feeding the multitudes, move with compassion. So uh, certainly that is a factor. And when people just try to say, well, that was a sign that he was the Messiah, that was proof that he was the Messiah. Well, that's, that's part of it. In other words, the miracles that God wrought through him were part of his credentials. But they also reflected the heart of God. They reflected the, the manifestation of, of God's character and how he felt about sickness and disease and his compassion towards the suffering. Uh, honestly, I think we'd see many differences in many areas if we were more moved with compassion. Now, someone might say, man, you're judging me. I've, I've wept and, and, and pleaded and, and moved with deep compassion and don't see healing. So fully understand that. No one's saying that this is the, the magic button that you push and 100 times out of 100, if you have compassion, you'll see healing. However, I fully agree with you. If we had more compassion, we'd see more healing and, and one simple logical reason is that we would be more moved to pursue God for healing. We would, we would be more broken by someone else's pain and therefore take it on ourselves to really pray and, and break through and, uh, on their behalf. The more we care, the more we'll serve, the more we'll give. It's interesting, if, if you read things about, say, Heidi Baker in Mozambique and how she'll pray for the sick, sometimes you know, she meets a blind woman and just hugs her, just loves her and the and the woman sees you know so it's it's compassion that moves her and that compassion is the vehicle for healing no question more compassion would produce more results i agree with you thank you sir and it's costly isn't it having compassion is costly because otherwise we just kind of skip on with our day but now compassion burdens us hey thanks uh, let's go to uh, Cassie, somewhere in Canada. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi. Hey, are, are you on a regular phone? Are you connected okay? Yes, I'm on speaker. Maybe I'll turn it off. Yeah, better to turn it off. Talk to you directly. Yeah, um, I'm just worried about Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, because I feel like I had the Holy Spirit. Spirit, but I feel like he's not with me now and like before I had like when I tried to come back to God I had like some like demonization and and then I contacted some pastors and I even talked to a pastor from the Moody Institute um, in the US and then I had this feeling like oh, I don't want to follow God and I keep getting these condemning feelings like that I committed like the blasphemy and I can't mm. follow God and and like I had like the pastors to like when people who prayed for me like they had like demonic dreams and things and I I worried now like I don't have the Holy Spirit with me because I I don't feel I don't feel like the hatred of sin as I did before and I don't feel like God's with me I worried like maybe I can't come back to God like when I pray mm. to Him I I don't feel any response or anything. And sometimes they get these blemished spots in my head, like saying to God and things. Right. So, Cassie, I know that what you're going through is, is very real to you. And others have gone through the very same thing and feel that, that they cross the point of no return or God would never have them again or that they committed the unpardonable sin. And what I always tell those who ask is that, if that was the case, you wouldn't be on the phone with me. 
you would be completely away from God without any thought of him, any desire. See, any desire you have for God, that comes from him. Any desire to be right with him, that comes from him. Jesus said, you can't come to him unless the Father who, who sent him draws you. The very fact that you want to come to God means that he's at work in your life. And what I would encourage you to do is, is to focus on what the Word of God says. I'm going to give you some key verses. And to renew your mind to what the Word of God says and meditate on it until that reality strikes your heart. And when you receive it first by faith, because it's written, and by looking to Jesus, then it's going to become real in the rest of your life. Stay right there, Cassie. We'll, we'll talk on the other side of the break. Please don't go anywhere. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on this Friday broadcast. You've got questions. We've got answers. So um, back to, to Cassie, uh, I, I want to yeah. encourage Yeah, Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was just wondering because, like, like I have like, these, like, these compulsions or these I'm just watching, really discussing things to God, and I feel like I kind of have a seared conscience. Like, like before, I felt like when I had the Holy Spirit, I felt more kind to people and everything. But now I feel afraid He won't come back. Cause when I say those disgusting things of compulsion or, or like, or some, I said to God, I don't feel guilty or anything. I'm just worried that. I, right, right, I, but I, right, but you can't rely on feelings right now. That's that's what I'm trying to, to help you with, okay? What you have to do is renew your mind according to what God's Word says and determine to believe that. Determine to hold on to that. If your mind is raging and your emotions are raging, hold on to what's written. I want to encourage you to read Psalm 103 out loud over and over again, okay? Are you jotting this down? Can you do that? Yeah. All right, so Psalm one, yeah, Psalm one hundred three. Read it through, over and over again, out loud. Don't even tell God how you feel. Just read that. A- another passage to read is Micah chapter seven, verses eighteen and nineteen. Oh, okay, My- sorry, I, I just read it down quickly. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Psalm so 103. Psalm one hundred three. Okay. Yeah. Micah chapter 7, Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Okay. And then Luke chapter 15. Okay. Luke chapter 15. I'm just worried, sorry, that the Pharisees, you know, they said, like, Jesus was possessed by demons, and I think, like, I had these blemishes, thoughts of singing to God, like, these swear words and things. I don't... Yeah, yeah, but look, people... All kinds of crazy thoughts can go through our minds, okay? There can be angry thoughts, lustful thoughts, sinful thoughts. They, any of us can get hit with crazy thoughts. I've had times where I'm about to stand up and preach, and the craziest thought goes in. So I just let it go in one ear and out the other. That's not me. 
That's not who you are. If that's who you are, you wouldn't be on the phone now. If that's who you are, you wouldn't be concerned about this. And the passage in Hebrews 6 that I know you're, you're concerned with is about someone who has willfully turned away and is rejecting Jesus, actually going back to Judaism in context, and thinking, well, I can just go back to the system there, the sacrifices. He's saying, no, no, if you're crucifying him by rejecting him, there is no other sacrifice. What you're doing is you're coming to him, and, and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's, he's, he's not one that, that changes his mind back and forth and is fickle. When he died on the cross, that was once and for all. Unless you willfully, knowingly reject him, unless you willfully, knowingly, outwardly attribute it, the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan, and harden your heart as opposed to had thoughts go through your mind, what you need to do is accept God's love. Don't worry about the feelings. Those will come. The feelings will come back. But renew your mind according to God's word. If you have to read these over a hundred times a day, Father, make this real to me. Make this real to me. And he will. And you'll come out the other side. Father, we pray for Cassie that you would work in her life, that you would draw her to yourself, that your word would become true in her own life experience. In Jesus' name. All right, you do that, all right? Over and over, speak those out, pray those out, and you'll see transformation come. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Bob in Damascus, Maryland. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. My question seems maybe a little frivolous after the last couple. But, That's all right. Um, I'm interested in the uh, pilgrim road, paved pilgrim road that they're excavating in Jerusalem that leads up to the temple. Mm-hmm. Wondering if you can comment on how that relates to the Gospels and perhaps to the Jewish historical claim to the land. Uh, so it relates to the Gospels in terms of the geography or archaeology or, or, or the message of the yeah. Gospels? Well, I guess just by the fact that uh, there are places in the Gospel where Jesus went up to the temple and maybe we can imagine that this is exactly where he walked. Yeah, so I, I haven't I haven't followed the details of of the latest uh, digs around the temple. I, I can tell you that when we do a, a, a tour, the current one we've had it postponed three times, but God willing, uh, next year, late February, early March, we'll be we'll be taking everyone to Israel. But when when we do a tour, we will stand outside of of the old temple ruins. And on the, I guess it's the southern steps to the temple, and the tour guide will always say, this is the one place we can say for sure in terms of this complex here that Jesus would have walked. Uh, and then you see around it these, these, little, uh, these little areas where you've got these, these uh, little baptismal pools, you know, for, immer- for ritual immersion because you'd have them all around because so many people would be, get richly washed before going into the temple. Um, so it's, there's... You'll go through parts of the old city of Jerusalem, uh, and and to your shock, you'll see. Okay, we've we've they've now excavated this. This could go back to the time of Hezekiah, or this you know, the city of David's being excavated. So there there are quite a few places where you just go back in time thousands of years, and it's it's stunning. And and then the you know the remains of of Herod's villa here, or or things like that. Um, 
it, it's stunning and striking. Uh, but this particular one, I have I have not followed what's being discovered. But you could almost be sure that that there will be new things uncovered that give us more insight about life at the temple and and where things were two uh, two thousand years ago. So I, I I'll follow up on this. Um, sometimes I wait until there's more data and information. But I'll I'll check, and if there's anything really rich, then I'll, I'll certainly talk about it on the air, maybe on a Thursday. So th- thanks for asking. I wish I had more info to give you, though. Thank you. All right, eight six six three four truth. I mean, rather than just saying I I don't know, there is so much that is amazing when you go like, wow, this goes back this far and that far. It's it's extraordinary. By the way, we got a couple lines open which we almost never have on a Friday. So if you've been trying to get through. Now's the perfect time, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Ben in Montgomery County, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, afternoon. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, my question was direct relation with what is considered to be a Christian. In this context, I was wanted to refer to, does one necessarily have to believe in the Trinity to be considered a Christian, you know? Got it. So what... What's your own view? Well, I guess you could technically call me a Unitarian, but the term Unitarian nowadays has more of a liberal stigma to it. So I just don't believe that Jesus is God, basically. I don't believe in the Trinity. Right. So that to me is a salvation issue because you have a less than divine being dying for our sins. You have—do you worship Jesus? Worship? Yeah. Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, I worship you. I mean, I guess you could say I acknowledge him that, you know, to get to the Father, I need to get to the Son, right? Because only through the Son can you get to the Father. So I guess you could consider in that sense. No, but I mean, do you you give him praise and worship? I guess not in the typical sense, then, no. Right. Yes, so that... That's problematic, you know, because you have passages like I'll just I'll just read this to you. Um, aside from explicit statements that you have to deny, like Hebrews one explicitly saying that that the Son is God. So unless you worship more gods than one, right? Or you know, in in Revelation the, the fifth chapter, I'm sure you're familiar with the passage there, um, when everyone says you are worthy to take the scroll. Uh, and, and then goes on, and in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Either you're giving that to him as Scripture requires, or you say you can't, in, in which case you're withholding. If you're giving that to him, then, then he's divine. The only one that God does not share his glory with anyone. So it's not just a theological doctrine, like you have to sign on this dotted line. But if you deny... Jesus deity, not only denying explicit parts of scripture, you're denying prayer to him because he's prayed to in the Bible. Even so come Lord Jesus. That's a prayer to him. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's a prayer to him. So if he's not God, then who are you praying to? We only pray to God. And and if he can receive all honor and glory and praise, then if if we're giving that to him, is he God or not? or every knee bowing to him, every tongue confessing that he's Lord, if he's not God, then that's idolatry. We're, we're giving that to a glorified man. So it, it's something I really, can, really encourage you to, to, to reconsider in terms of based on what Scripture says. 
Are, are, you, are you open to, to being wrong in your position? I mean, I guess that's the most rational position to hold the ability to be considered wrong with enough sufficient evidence, right? Got it. So, Ben, have you watched the, the debate I did on this with Dr. Dale Tuggy? Uh, no, I only watched your debate with Dr. Bart Ehrman. Uh, okay, so, so t- tell you what. Go to uh, my internet channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASK Dear Brown, or my website, AskDrBrown.org. Type in brown and white, brown and white. So you'll see a debate that James White and I did with Sir Anthony Buzzard and, Dr. and, and Mr. Joseph Good on this very subject. So just type in brown and white uh, and, and you'll find that. Or then type in Tuggy, brown and Tuggy, T-U-G-G-Y. This is a debate Dale Tuggy and I did on the deity of Jesus. And then the, the debate that Dr. James White and I did together against uh, Joseph Good and Anthony Buzzard. So check those out with an open heart. I think it'll shift your view, sir. And then call me back once you've watched them. God bless you. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Welcome to the broadcast. Just a quick word. If you have not yet pre-ordered your copy of Has God Failed You, they have arrived early. The book doesn't come out until May 11th, but we got our shipment in. Uh, Next week, we'll be signing, sending them out. And we have a, a special additional gift that we're giving you with a, a, a teaching that I think is really going to bless you richly, uh, just an extra gift. So you can pre-order the signed numbered copies on our website, AskDrBrown.org. You can still do that. Uh, I highly recommend the book for anyone struggling in their faith, having questions, maybe if they've lost their faith, but they're still open to the reality of God, the possibility of God. If you or a friend or loved one, I think you'll find the book super helpful. I really wrote it with a deep sense of dependence on God, leaning on him as I wrote because of the life and death nature of the material in the book. So has God failed? You can find out more on our website, sdrbrown.org. You'll find it right on the homepage. If you just want a a pre-order, just a regular copy anywhere else, a Christian book or Amazon, it's out there. And of course, ebook is available. And at certain point, not too distant future, hopefully the audio book. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions. We've got answers. We go to Hunter in Campbell, California. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So uh, I just had a question about uh, Numbers uh, 14. Okay. uh, Moses is praying to God, and he says... uh, he basically says, like, then the Egyptians will hear it, and you might be brought, uh, then, like, I guess my question is, uh, why did, uh, Moses reason with the Lord about why he shouldn't destroy the children of Israel? Like, wouldn't the Lord already know why he shouldn't already kill? Yeah, well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of intercession, um, where Moses appeals to the Lord and appeals to his promises, and then God relents after that. Um, you don't just have it with Moses. You have it in, in other examples, uh, in other prophetic books and things. So the way it works, number one, is that God is working with us. 
In other words, that he is giving us an opportunity to respond and give a reason for him to be even more long-suffering and have mercy. You'll do the same thing with your children, that they do something that's wrong, but based on their response, you determine, okay, they're really contrite. Okay, they, they recognize the wrongness of what they did and really want to make it right, or uh, they don't even care at all. So you respond according to their response. So you're giving them the opportunity. Um, why doesn't God just save people without us preaching? Why doesn't he just do things without us asking him to do them? Because he's working in relationship with us. He's working in conjunction with us. So that's why he, he is often looking for a valid reason to, to pardon or to have mercy but there must be the right response in order for him to do that. And in terms of Moses' intercession, he knew that God's reputation was important. If people didn't know who he was, they couldn't believe in him. They would believe in false gods. And therefore, if it seemed that he was powerless, he brought them out of Egypt, but didn't have the power to bring them into the promised land, it would bring reproach to his name and therefore drive people away from him. So God's looking for us to to pray and to act and if we don't, you know, First Thessalonians 5, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't, he shouldn't eat. Or Second Thessalonians 3, if, if he doesn't work, he shouldn't, shouldn't eat. In other words, hey, you can just stay home and pray for food, but God set it up where you go work. So that's the way he set things up. And if we don't participate, then, then we lose out and others lose out. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, uh, one one leader, actually a couple of leaders have said it over the over the centuries, whether we like it or not, asking is the law of the kingdom. And and think think of this other part, Hunter, not just in terms of God wanting to give us an opportunity to receive mercy or pray for mercy for someone else, but in our own development. Uh you know, after the broadcast today, I get home and we'll work out with a with a friend. If I could be in perfect cardio shape and my body the fittest it could possibly be, by my just pushing a button on my bedside before I went to sleep, it's unlikely I'd push hard in workouts. If, if, I, if, if I could see the full manifestation of God's power by praying a 30-second prayer once a month, as much as I love the Lord and love spending time with Him, I probably wouldn't be pushed to pray in the same way. So these things develop change in us as well. But thank you. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to uh, John in... We're going to Delaware. Let's go to Michael in Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Uh, yes, sir. Dr. Brown, uh, I, I recently read a book by Adrian Zenz and Marlon Zayas called... Uh, worthy to escape, and uh, they talk. About, uh, they resolved the debate about the secret rapture, a secret pre-trib rapture versus a, a public post-trib rapture by correlating uh, the Jewish feast. And basically, what they say in the book is that the the secret pre-trib rapture of the five wise virgins, like a thief in the night, uh, correlates to the first fruits harvest on the day of Pentecost of uh, sanctified Christians that are watching for the rapture. And the, the public uh, post-trib uh, Matthew 24 in-gathering of the elect at the last Trump uh, correlates to the late autumn festival of, Trump, of uh, trumpets or tabernacles and um, after the summer of tribulation. 
So, so these are outlined in Revelation chapter 14, verse 4 and, and verse 16, where it talks about uh, the first fruits unto God uh, of the 144,000 first fruits. And then verse 16 talks about the, 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 the harvest of the earth. And so I was wondering, what, have you heard of this? And what's your opinion of, of a secret harvest uh, uh, at the, on the day of Pentecost? Yeah, so first, uh, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the book itself. I've heard different arguments based on different reasoning and different verses over the years. So I'm not familiar with this book itself. And the authors may love the Lord and may be very serious students of Scripture. Uh, So the fact that I'm about to completely dismiss this idea categorically does not mean that, that they don't love the Lord or they haven't studied Scripture or don't have many arguments to bring. So I don't mean to be dismissive of them in any way. But the reason having studied this and written on it myself, of course, with Craig Keener, our book, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, While We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture, is because the very thing that we are told to look forward to, the very thing that, that we are told is when we are transformed, it's a public event. It's not a secret event. We are longing for his what? Appearing. That's what Paul was longing for. We long for his appearing. We will be changed when he appears. And, and when is it that we experience transformation and are caught up in, in, the, in the twinkling of an eye and receive our resurrected bodies? It's at the last trumpet in First, First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. So the question is, if that's the last trumpet, then why is there another trumpet or series of trumpets after that? Uh, the, the very words that are described that, for example, are, are used in Matthew 24, that public event that they refer to, which they claim is this, this later event as opposed to this secret rapture, the same words are used. It's his parousia. It's his coming. So if, if the parousia is an arrival, in other words, if you're in an airport and they say, okay, uh, flight so-and-so is um, uh, within landing distance and should be touching down, so, okay, hasn't arrived yet. Flight so-and-so has just arrived and be making its way over to the gate and we'll be boarding in a half hour after that. Uh, so the parousia is an actual arrival. And we are, we are raptured to be with him at his parousia, at his apocalypsis, which is his revelation, at, at his epiphania, which is his shining forth. So all the vocabulary of what we're looking forward to and when, when we who love the Lord and are devoted to him will be caught up to meet him, it's all a public event that is seen, visible, it's audible, trumpet blasts and all that. So, you know, I just don't see any any possible basis for that view. Yeah. Well, well, just for the for your listeners that believe in a pre-trib rapture, you know, if they don't want to read the book, uh, at least we should be uh, watching and waiting on on these feasts, on these feasts of the Jewish feast days. We should be using them as a watch services at the very least. Uh, you know, we should be ready every day, but especially on feast days. So thank you for your comment. Uh, and I read your book, but uh, I'm not sure I agree 100%, but thank hey, you for your keep, comment. That's fine, man. We can, we can have differences. This much I would say, though, I, I don't agree with their reading of the feast either, obviously. So Passover, pointing to Messiah's death and resurrection, uh, excuse me, death on the cross, first roots within the Passover season, his resurrection, Shavuot, the outpouring of the Spirit, so Feast of Weeks, outpouring of the Spirit. And then, after this substantial gap between his first and second coming, trumpets, speaking of his coming, atonement, national cleansing for Israel, and tabernacles, 
then is the final in-gathering. Hey, thank you, Michael, for the call and for studying these issues. And yes, let us be eagerly looking to the Lord, watching, waiting. Um, Jeremiah, no, Jeremiah's gone. No, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the Jeremiah from the Bible. You can read his words every day. 866-34-TRUTH. And again, with a couple of folks just dropped out, gone, got phone lines, one or two phone lines open again. It's like a jewel on a Friday. It's a great time to call in now. We go to Orlando in High Point. In fact, the caller right next to you is also in High Point. Unless you're in the same house there. Welcome to the no, we're fire. Not. All right. All right. So, Lisa, you're next, also in High Point. Maybe you know Orlando. But anyway, go ahead, sir. Uh, Mr. Brown, uh, I have a question about uh, first Adam, second Adam. Yeah. When he, when he talks about how is there anything in the Talmud or, or any other place that, that talks about how long was Adam with no sin in the Garden of Eden? Was it 33 years just like Jesus came over? Is that why he had to live? 33 no, there, years and a half years? No, uh, it's, it's a great question because you have the first Adam and the last Adam and the first you know, earthly, the second heavenly. So you have those contrasts laid out. But no, there's nothing... You have all kinds of interesting traditions, but nothing in terms of any definitive information as to how long Adam lived. However, there are rabbinic traditions, homiletical traditions, that talk of Adam being so glorious, like face like brighter than the sun, and so massive that he could stride over the entire earth with just a few footsteps. So you have these pictures of Adam like super glorified, and super exaggerated. But no, no correspondence, which is a great question, that Adam lived X number of years without sinning. Uh, the impression you get is pretty quickly they ate of the forbidden tree. Hey, thank you for the question. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. All right, we had a drop caller that we've reconnected with. So, John in Delaware, welcome to The Line of Fire. Hi, welcome. I've called before, and I want to thank you for t- taking my call. Um, I attended Times Square Church about a decade ago, okay. and I did it for about about ten and a half years. I was there, and um, and now I'm in Delaware, and I'm attending a church that was planted by John MacArthur. Um. I know they love the Lord, the pastors, the men of God. The people are great, um, but they, they, you know, they believe, you know, this cessationism, and 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 my brother is also into this type of line, John MacArthur line, as I called it, and I'm I'm very confused right now because I'm, I'm I don't know whether to stay or not because is is it. I disagree with the way they see things, many things, and and I'm confused. I I gotta, you know, 
just feel like sometimes they just want to argue about stuff that are not necessary. Yeah. You know? So, so John, let, 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 me, let me just ask you a couple other questions, okay? Um, the way you encountered God in worship at Times Square Church, do you encounter God the same way in worship at this church? No, not at all. They, 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 they loving people. They, they, the songs are. They choke. They choose their songs very wisely, you know. So when you sing their songs, are very, um, you know, theologically correct. But they don't raise their hands. They don't praise the Lord. Right. So, so, so the encounter. Right. So let me just say this: I respect and honor John MacArthur, and thank God for the example he set and the unflinching testimony that he's given, unashamed of the Lord all these years. And then, of course, very, very strongly differ with him on the things of the Spirit and the place of encountering God and and intimate fellowship with God. So I have very, very strong differences with him in that respect. And if if I was in his church, let's just say I was, you know, nobody knew me and I was there, I'm sure I'd, I'd learn a lot. I'd grow from the teaching, but I'd be very, very frustrated. I would be constantly frustrated because of lack of of ability for the Holy Spirit to move. You think of everything that birthed David Wilkerson, Don's Wilkerson's ministry with Teen Challenge. It was the Holy Spirit working and the Holy Spirit visiting lives and changing lives. And as I had the privilege of preaching at Times Square Church, somewhere between 40 and 50 times from 91 to 95, the worship was wonderful. And you could just be changed by being in God's presence in worship. And then very, very serious preaching, strong teaching, preaching from the Word of God. I mean, there was there's no pulpit I preached in America that honored the word any more than, than Times Square Church did. So I would encourage you, rather than be frustrated, bless the people, thank God for the good they're doing, pray for them, but get in a place where there's freedom for the Holy Spirit to move, where uh, there is liberty to have an expression and encounter with God, and where you don't feel the same type of contention coming from the pulpit. Because, you know, many times in those circles, there'll be a strong emphasis on, you know, this one's wrong, this one's wrong, this one's wrong, and, and not always as much of a glorifying Jesus, fire burning in your heart, let's go out and pour ourselves into a, into a dying world. So, you could, uh, do you have my book, Authentic Fire? I do not, no. All right. Um, are, are you able to purchase it? If, if... Sure, I do, I do, I can. But I want to say also, where... Can I go? I've been here a few years from New York. There, there are no churches out there. Um, John, I, there, there, yeah, I no, don't. You know, I, I'm not looking for a perfect church. I, I understand. I, I just want to. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, so I just have to jump in. I, I apologize. Number one, I don't know Delaware well in terms of churches and locations. Even if you told me what city you live in, I, I don't know the area well. But I, I'm unable to give specific recommendations. You know, we get questions all the time. Could you recommend a church in our area? We're, we're unable to do that for a few reasons. But let's, let's believe that God will bring you into a fruitful place uh, while you're looking, you know, visiting, praying. Sometimes there, you know, there are groups that meet in homes that are dynamic, and there may be something you have to travel. I mean, many people would, would drive an hour or longer to get into a service at Times Square Church. Of course, when I come in to preach, it was a, you know, four or five hour commute each direction just to get in to, to speak. Uh, but uh, check out my book, Authentic Fire. It's my response to John MacArthur's Strange Fire, and, and see if your brother read it too. I think you'll find it really, really helpful, Authentic Fire. And let's just pray. Ask the Lord to lead you, connect you in a place where 
there's got to be other churches in the area that, that are open to the Holy Spirit, that honor the Word of God, where you'd feel more at home. So may the Lord lead you there. And again, I, I don't know personally the, the area there well, even if I wanted to help in that regard. But check out the book, Authentic Fire. I, th- I think it'll really help you. All right, God bless, man. Thanks, and, and may the Lord guide you uh, in your journey here. Uh, and by the way, if you were non-charismatic or even anti-charismatic and in a charismatic church and frustrated every week and not agreeing with the leaders, I would tell you to go somewhere else. I would say, hey, even though I believe in these things, if you personally don't and you're struggling and, and you don't like what the leaders are teaching and preaching, then you should be somewhere else. You need to be in a place where you can fully submit to the major teaching and emphasis of the leaders. Otherwise, you're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. Okay, back to High Point, Maryland. Lisa, uh, excuse me, High Point, North Carolina. Lisa, thanks for calling the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. And uh, sure. I appreciate your ministry and your obedience to the Lord. Um, Dr. Brown, uh, I've been struggling lately. Uh, I work in a, a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar? I know you, you may be familiar with that. Because um, you just mentioned uh, Teen Challenge, and yep. we get a lot of people from the Teen Challenge. Yep. And uh, and I think that's great. But I've been struggling. Uh, I've been feeling a lot of... Uh, I don't know. I, I've not really been feeling the Lord's presence uh, like I would like to. I've been convicted. I don't know if what I'm feeling is conviction or I'm being judgmental. And I, it's that what is going on is is that a lot of the ladies that, uh, you know, they kind of separate us into small groups uh, after after the, um, the I guess, you kind of sort of like, I don't know what you would call it, uh, we have like an hour thing that we do, and then after mm-hmm. that we go off into small groups. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot of the ladies there, they don't seem to be, they're living in a way that the Lord, uh, that you can't live. I mm-hmm. mean, the Lord says you can't live like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been years that they've been living like this. And I know God moves people different ways, you know, in, in different time periods. But I can tell that they're bitter because of it. You know, sin, living openly in sin before God and trying to live a relationship with the Lord, and you'll you'll become bitter. Yep. You have to put away the sin. And uh, we're limited in what we can say. You know, it's a thing that's sort of like we're not here to uh, change one another. We're here to support one another. But as a Christian, as a professing Christian who loves my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, I owe... Uh, you know, everything to him, and I yeah. just don't feel like I'm doing them what I need to do, and I don't feel like I'm doing him what I need right. to do. So, so two things, Lisa, uh, in, in response. Number one, this is what has to drive you deeper in prayer than you've ever gone, to, mm-hmm. to pray for these women that God would really do a work in their lives, that he would turn up the heat of conviction, that he would bring a greater revelation of his love, that that you this and uh, that he would shine through you like he's never shined through you that that mm-hmm. you'd be different in example so the problems are real but the frustration is often what drives us to god and mm-hmm. these are when the great breakthroughs come when we really pursue him when we are determined okay i i don't i don't care what it takes i have to break through because i'm not seeing the results i want to see or Jesus is not shining through me in such a way that others are being changed. So let this frustration drive you 
to seeking God more. As you do that, you may get some insight in terms of ways where the program can address things differently. Uh, in other words, like if you went to a teen challenge, then you're in a, a very set environment for like 10 months or for a year or something like that. And you, everyone has to live a certain way, do it, participate, et cetera. And you, you can't, you're not allowed to break the rules or you leave. Then there are other places where the settings are different, but pray for God's wisdom in that, that Lord, other leaders, Lord, the national movement, Lord, give wisdom. May we see the greatest fruit. And then if, if you just feel like you talk to others, like, yeah, we're, we're not seeing people change. Then as, as a ministry, then you have to come together and the, the leaders, the women have to come together in leadership and, and, and seek God and call for fasting and prayer for the breakthrough to come. God will answer. God will meet you. So let this frustration turn into something that's going to be beautiful and powerful. May the Lord do it, Lisa. Uh, we come to the end of ourselves. We come to the beginning of his grace. And, and friends, let me end the broadcast as I started it. I just got an email today from a pastor in Pakistan, a young woman from his own church, choir member, 16 years old. She was at their service this morning at 5.30 a.m., has been kidnapped by Muslims and then they will force marriage and conversion on her. And in many ways, there's nothing they can do. He's gone to the police about this, but in certain ways, find an excuse for it, look the other way. So let's pray for the deliverance of this girl, that quickly, quickly, that she will be out of the hands of her kidnappers, that for whatever reason, they'll have a change of heart, and that she'll be back home safe and sound. May it be so. In Jesus' name, would you pray for her, 16 years old, in Pakistan? Another program powered by the Truth Network.